Giving four billion people some free internet access is the right thing to do. Helping people find jobs and lifting them out of poverty is the right thing to do. Giving people a lifeline in emergencies is the right thing to do. And providing free access to education and health information is just the right thing to do. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of community do we want to be? Are we a community that values people and improving people's lives above all else? Or are we a community that puts the intellectual purity of technology above people's needs? I'm Joe Agoda, and this is the Let's Break Good podcast, where we never settle for good enough. On today's episode, we explore the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to corporations using their reach and resources for a social good cause. Should big multinational companies play a leading role in projects helping the poor if they also have a profit incentive to do so? At the center of our exploration will be the story of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, when in 2013, they set out on a mission to connect a billion people without internet access to the benefits of the World Wide Web. Why did Zuckerberg take on this impact-minded initiative? How did Facebook leverage their corporate brand to try and do it? And what happened that caused millions of social good dollars to literally blow up in smoke? Let's dig into it. Let's get started. I want to break free. Today, many of us take for granted internet services that allow for video chatting, faraway family, ordering almost anything to your doorstep, or searching out answers to questions in seconds. During the early 2000s, a huge portion of the United States, Europe, and other high-income countries transitioned from slow dial-up modem internet to high-speed connections that made all of those things possible. Internet access development was much slower in sub-Saharan Africa Southeast Asia, and other low-income countries. Infrastructure to provide access was limited, and customers did not have the buying power to motivate companies to provide it. But into the second decade of the 2000s, the opportunity for internet connectivity worldwide progressed as mobile phone providers, even in the poorest countries, established networks that could allow for internet access through 3G connections and cheap smartphones. In 2012, I was working with the United Nations, and all types of mobile internet-fueled projects were being launched with a lot of fanfare and excitement. Some projects, tested in urban middle-class areas like Nairobi, Kenya, or Bangkok, Thailand, did well, but hundreds of millions of people still simply were not able to get online in low-income countries. The United Nations, nonprofits, and government agencies simply had neither the resources nor innovation ability to create new solutions that could spread low-cost connectivity and internet services to the hardest to reach. But maybe a corporation could, especially one with both the riches and reputation for building connected networks. Enter Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. By 2013, the world was 10 years into Facebook's existence, and Zuckerberg was known as the Wonder Kid who had built up a successful billion-dollar technology company in just a decade. 
By taking on connecting the world, Zuckerberg could elevate his status to a new level in a truly meaningful way. He decided to personally take on the challenge to connect a billion people to the internet through Facebook in the next 10 years. By using his own personal clout and Facebook's major brand power, Zuckerberg convinced mobile network providers in low-income countries to partner up. Meanwhile, he started to build buzz by doing interviews about his new humanitarian, socially motivated initiative that was called internet.org. The founder of Facebook revolutionized how people communicate. Now he has an even more ambitious goal. We believe that connecting everyone in the world is one of the great challenges of our generation, and that's why we're really happy to be able to play you know, whatever small part in that we can. Zuckerberg calls his plan to wire the world internet.org, and he's been spreading the message from India to Indonesia. We launched this effort, internet.org. It's our effort with a handful of other technology companies to bring affordable, basic services to everyone in the world. From the lips of the guy who created Facebook, it sounds eminently possible. If we can make it so that free basic services are available in 100 or more countries, then that is going to be a huge win um, for all of these people who will now have access to new information on jobs and healthcare and education. You said you hoped for more than a billion people by 2020. Do you think you can get there? We'll see. The pedigree of Zuckerberg and Facebook captured the media's attention and its imagination even before the project connected a single new person. This was an attention-grabbing story. The CEO who changed the world through Facebook was going to do it once again. There was reason to believe it was possible too. Facebook was sitting on tons of cash, had built a global operation, and was a mainstream tech company rivaled only by a Microsoft, Apple, or Google. Facebook had an advantage over those companies too. They still had a founder in place as CEO who could prioritize the idea of connecting the world and could use their sheer will to make it a company priority. Zuckerberg hadn't split his social good effort into a separate entity like the Bill Gates Foundation. He could mobilize the full force of Facebook's capacity onto this mission. There was a bottom line business reason to motivate Facebook to want to connect the next billion as well. One that probably got shareholders on board with the idea. Facebook's business model created revenue through the number of users on the site, so more users would mean more ad revenue or other monetization in the future. However, from the start, Zuckerberg wanted to make clear that he was doing internet.org because he thought it was the right, ethical thing to do. He downplayed the business side and took issue with anyone saying the initiative was being done because it would benefit his company. Here's Zuckerberg being interviewed by CNN's Chris Cuomo when that very question came up. Um, there are new business models to help more people get online. It's also good for Facebook and these other companies, right? Mm -hmm. Because mobile access to the internet is where your business lies, right? You know, if we were just focused on, on making money, um, the, the first billion people that we've connected have, have way more money than the rest of the next six billion combined. Um, it's not fair, but, but it's the way that it is. Um, and we just believe that everyone deserves to be connected and on the internet. So we were putting a lot of energy towards this. Zuckerberg didn't leave it up to his personal charm to make the case that internet.org was a socially minded initiative. Facebook released video ads on its site that looked and sounded very much like traditional nonprofit style marketing. Here's a clip from an ad in the early days of internet.org called All of Us. This is about us. All of us. 
Right now, a couple billion of us have access to the internet, and amazing things have come from it. So what happens when the rest of us get access? It doesn't get twice as good. It gets like a bazillion times as good. Imagine it, for the first time in history, humanity firing on all cylinders. Everyone, everywhere. New voices, new dreams, new inspirations. And here's the thing, we can do it. So what happens now when we all have the internet? Who knows? That falls to us. All of us. Soon, a whole series of video ads were coming out from Facebook making the social impact case. Interestingly, a number of videos about internet.org argued connecting the world would not just be good for those that didn't have access, but everyone would benefit from the new influx of individuals sharing their knowledge and culture. This is Nisha, granddaughter, daughter, and sister of magicians. She's grown up around some pretty amazing things, but no internet. Just think of all the new things she could learn. All the things she could share with the world. Get her online and let her teach us. Because the more we connect, the better it gets. The slick marketing campaign was working. Just a year from when Zuckerberg set his intention for the initiative, he had gotten other significant corporate partners on board and had the interest of world leaders and the international media. No way a nonprofit or government entity could move that fast or garner that type of attention this quickly. By the middle of 2014, Facebook was ready to start work on its ambitious goal and chose India, a country with over a billion people and many who had still not fully come online, as their target country to make a big first splash. The inaugural Internet.org Summit was held October 2014 in New Delhi, India. It brought together India-based technologists, community leaders, and social good organizations to start collaborating on the connectivity challenge. Zuckerberg himself showed up to make a keynote speech and mark the milestone for internet.org. Today, only about a third of people in the world have access to the internet at all. Uh, more than two-thirds of people, or about two-thirds of people don't. Only, only 2.7 billion people um, have any access. Here in India, um, it's, it's a bit better. You have 243 million people are connected to the internet, and um, more than 100 million are on Facebook already. So, I mean, th that's a big achievement. Um, but, you know, there's still more than a billion people in India who, don't, who can't connect and don't have access to the same opportunities as everyone else. And because of this, I, I think that the, the whole world is being robbed of those people's ideas and creativity. So it's not just those folks who are missing out, but we really all are. But Zuckerberg and internet.org was not welcomed with open arms by everyone like they may have expected. Even with all the positive initial press and feel-good Facebook videos, there were still a number of influential leaders inside of India that were simply not buying it. They saw a corporate giant coming in to dictate how their people would get connected to the internet and what sites they would use. Questions started to get raised about the .org project and how socially minded it really was. Here's what's really happening. Facebook and telecom operators are trying to change the definition of net neutrality. They're trying to define net neutrality as everyone being able to access the internet. 
whereas the truth is actual net neutrality means anyone being able to access everything on the internet. Facebook is also doing something similar with internet.org. While they aren't charging people money to sign on and become partners, what they are doing is creating a walled garden of select apps and services that people can access for free. But if you try to leave this garden and go onto the rest of the internet, you'd get charged. Facebook isn't trying to protect your rights. Facebook is just trying to make sure that there will never be another Facebook again. The YouTube post you just heard garnered over a million views. The India techies were arguing internet.org was going to break a principle called net neutrality, that no internet provider or company should stop people from accessing all sites on the web equally at the exact same speed. It was true that internet.org was going to launch with access to only specific sites that included basic things like weather, sports, news, and of course, Facebook. And it was only being offered through particular mobile networks. The fact that Zuckerberg had denied there was corporate ambitions to internet.org made it even more convincing to say the project was just a wolf in sheep's clothing with sinister corporate profit aims below its feel-good surface. After the public uproar in India, Zuckerberg released a response video statement making his case that the rage against the project was misplaced. There are more than 4 billion people who need to be connected. And if we can connect them, then we'll raise hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. I say all this supporting net neutrality. At its core, net neutrality is about preventing discrimination. But our society acknowledges that preventing discrimination alone isn't enough. We also need to do even more to lift up the disadvantaged in our communities. So while countries have anti-discrimination laws, we also have laws to make sure that we do even more to invest in groups like women and minorities. The same applies to universal connectivity and net neutrality. Some may argue for an extreme definition of net neutrality that says that it's somehow wrong to offer any more services to support the unconnected, but a reasonable definition of net neutrality is more inclusive. Access equals opportunity. Net neutrality should not prevent access. But even with this plea from Zuckerberg himself, the federal government regulators of India sided against Facebook and internet.org. The service was banned from operating in the country. This was a total disaster of a launch. But Facebook was a powerful billion dollar company and Mark Zuckerberg was not going to give up on the dream of connecting the world that easily. So internet.org made a subtle but clever pivot. They adjusted their messaging to be more upfront about what the business goals were as part of this initiative. A new product from internet.org called Free Basics by Facebook took the center stage. Marketing was clear that the goal of this internet.org product was to get initial free internet access to those who could not afford it or needed a first experience to understand why the internet could help them. This was a freemium model and Facebook was transparent that people would need to buy data packages for full access to the internet. Zuckerberg also offered up something that was meant to appease those that were saying Facebook and internet.org was breaking net neutrality. Today, we're taking the next step. We're going to open internet.org so anyone can build free basic services. Soon, we're gonna share an open technical spec and any compatible service will be available through internet.org across the whole world. This will give people even more choice 
and more free services while still creating a sustainable economic model to connect every single person in the world. This is the next step forward for internet.org. Now, if you can make your website low bandwidth enough, it could be made available through Free Basics. The product opened with a huge rollout into multiple countries, and it got a lot of traction, connecting millions of people. By 2016, it was reported 60 million new people got connected through the internet through Free Basics. A sister project under internet.org called Express Wi-Fi by Facebook also launched that would allow for small-scale entrepreneurs to sell cheap internet access via connectivity established by Facebook. Anyone connecting to an Express Wi-Fi would get full internet access, just like anyone else, with no limitations or favorite apps. The overall tone for free basics and Express Wi-Fi was more authentic and entrepreneurial in nature, with a focus on what this could do for local people with business aspirations. Free Basics allows people to get access to online services without having to pay for data. Getting on Free Basics really opened our eyes to how to update our architecture for users who wouldn't have as much data. That opened us up to a whole new world of users. As a doctor myself, there's nothing as awesome as the fact that you might never meet them, but you know that you're helping someone. But even with this rebrand and rebound from the India fiasco, there was still a huge problem looming over the project. The infrastructure needed to get express Wi-Fi and free basics beyond areas where mobile networks reached to connect hundreds of millions of more people. Facebook was ready to rise up to this challenge too. The company had created the Facebook Connectivity Lab, a well-funded research and development team that had the mission to come up with novel ways to spread the connectivity to remote and hard to reach places. The imagination and innovation spirit for what a huge tech company with deep pockets could do became clear. Facebook has a very, very big and bold mission, which is to make the world more open and connected, primarily focused on regions where there just isn't internet connectivity. And that's why we're really invested in solar-powered aircraft and lasers as a mechanism to do that. There is no one solution for all countries because Population distribution in countries is very different. In some areas, there is the satellite solution. Other areas, terrestrial links. And then for some areas, we are looking at high-altitude airplanes. We're building a very lightweight, very large wingspan aircraft capable of flying above normal airliners, above 60,000 feet, for up to three months at a time. I don't think anybody's flown anything for greater than 14 days under power. This video from Facebook describes an ambitious solar-powered internet-beaming drone called Aquila. Zuckerberg envisioned hundreds of these floating in the skies, drawing energy from the sun, and firing laser-guided connectivity to remote corners of the world. And Aquila was not even the highest-stakes project under the connectivity push. Facebook entered into a $95 million partnership with a space satellite firm that would build a satellite that could create enormous capacity for internet.org to offer small-scale entrepreneurs in Africa the ability to sell express Wi-Fi and offer access to free basics. Zuckerberg entrusted the launch of this satellite to another tech magnate, Elon Musk and SpaceX. Were these ideas too big to fail? Soon after its first flight, Facebook gave up on solar-powered Aquila. They quietly let go of the entire team working on it, labeled the project a failure, 
and stated it had learned from the effort that aircraft innovation would be best left to partners in the proper aerospace industry like Boeing and Airbus. What about the multi-million dollar satellite investment that we put into space by Elon Musk? Zuckerberg traveled to Africa for the big day, so you could be one of the first to get online from their investment. But when the news of the result of the launch reached Zuckerberg, it was a little less than stellar. A jaw-dropping sight, a SpaceX rocket exploding on the launch pad Thursday. The massive fireball swallowing it whole in a matter of seconds. A series of explosions and massive plumes of thick, billowing smoke. Oh, my God. The blast could be heard and felt for miles, even caught on weather radar. Urgency on police dispatch radio. There's a rocket segment that blew up. There's a pretty noxious smoke plume that's heading out towards the beach. Temporarily closing down the beach. Amazingly, no one was injured during this routine test gone bad, but the unmanned rocket was destroyed along with a special satellite. It's mission to help Facebook bring the internet to parts of Africa. CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying he is deeply disappointed, but will keep working until everyone has the opportunities this satellite would have provided. To add insult to injury, the satellite explosion occurred during refueling rather than ignition and launch, which according to sources meant that the loss would not be covered by insurance. The project was a total loss. But with these failures, Facebook was still a thriving company that had the resources and rationale to keep at it, to find new ways of trying to get past the last hurdles in reaching Zuckerberg's lofty goal of connecting the next billion. However, in early 2017, Mark Zuckerberg had a new serious problem emerge that would distract him from his internet.org mission. Facebook's role in the US presidential election had caused outcry from the media and led to having Zuckerberg be called in front of the U.S. Senate. This hearing is an opportunity to speak to those who believe in Facebook and to those who are deeply skeptical about it. We are listening, America is listening, and quite possibly the world is listening too. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, and I'm responsible for what happens here. What I can commit is that we're going to invest significantly because this is a top priority to make sure that people aren't spreading misinformation or trying to interfere in elections on Facebook. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that might be what this is all about. Your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in modern America in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world. With this new urgent issue on hacking and personal data exploitation opening up and causing an existential crisis for Facebook, spreading free basic internet dropped as a priority for Mark Zuckerberg. And who might blame him from having fatigue, given how far the project had taken the company outside its core social media competencies? Slowly, the updates from internet.org fizzled out. A final post on Facebook came on March 1st, 2017.
So where should we place the blame for the ultimate failure of internet.org? Rightfully, the Zuckerberg ego and veiled Facebook corporate aspirations should get some of the blame. To me, there is too much put on having a Silicon Valley approach in vastly different contexts of rural and low-resource areas. In 2015, internet.org actually reached out to me to explore collaboration. They were seeking local partners to help them implement their program in new countries, and I was working with a leading nonprofit technology group in Southeast Asia. Our team was quite excited when we first got the contact from Facebook. We had an initial call with the internet.org team, and they relayed their lofty connectivity goals and social impact mission. We were inspired to help and put together an idea of what it would take to make it happen. However, when we asked about resources for the design work, trainings, local marketing, and ongoing technical costs that it would take to carry it out, we got no response, and they never got back to us. It felt as though they had contacted us to just test their free basics tools and encourage us to launch our own services on it. We wish they would have just been upfront about that from the beginning. Maybe instead of millions of dollars spent on its connectivity lab in Silicon Valley, alongside the drones and satellites, if those dollars were put into locally run technology hubs in Africa and Asia, then organic solutions to the connectivity challenge could have been discovered. I usually see the most impactful, sustainable innovations coming from within the communities that need it. But I don't think we can just blame Zuckerberg. Most groups in the nonprofit world wouldn't be able to think or act big enough to take on this type of challenge. Plus, the attitudes and mindsets around business doing social good were, and still are, pretty rigid. Most people express disgust if you ask them if profit and doing good can go together. I can understand why Facebook felt the need to try and sugarcoat what they were trying to do. Facebook was caught in a box that many corporations are put into, that they must totally separate their social good endeavors from their business ambitions. Even though in reality, the business-driven approaches might be the best way to reach and help the most people. The year after internet.org ended, Facebook reported that 100 million people had been connected to the World Wide Web thanks to the initiative. And while the internet.org program may have been abandoned as of today, remnants of the ambition lived on, especially its connectivity lab that continues to this day looking for new ways to lay infrastructure to get the next billion online. In this tale of doing good gone bad, of missed expectations and social good dollars gone up in smoke, the greatest takeaway might be that we all need to reevaluate our attitude on purpose-driven profit. If we can get a billion new people to make the connection that doing good and doing well can go together, it may have lasting power all on its own. As we're having this debate, remember that the people this affects most, the four billion unconnected, have no voice on the internet. They can't argue their side in the comments below or sign a petition for what they believe. So we decide our character and how we look out for them. Do we connect that fisherman in India now? That expectant mother in Ghana? And that student in Colombia? Do we keep pushing beyond them to connect their loved ones and their whole communities too? Or do we shut them out and tell them that they have to wait until they can afford to pay for it themselves. History tells us that helping people is always a better path than shutting them out. 
We have a historic opportunity ahead of us to improve the lives of billions of people. Let's take that opportunity. Let's connect them. That's our episode today, and I want to show my gratitude for everyone who made it possible. Our producer, who goes by at iSimonG on Twitter, helps this podcast sound great every episode. This episode was recorded on Zencaster, hosted on SoundCloud, and spread on platforms like Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. If you want another story of doing good gone bad, check out episode 12, The Planet Saving Laptop, or episode 18, Can a Million Likes Change the World? Want to help me get connected to the next billion? Then you can assist by getting the word out about this podcast by rating and reviewing wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Break Good or Instagram at Let's Break Good and subscribe so you can get the latest episodes. You can visit letsbreakgood.com for more information or to get in touch with the team. Until next time, I'm Joe Agoda and this has been the Let's Break Good Podcast.